Welcome to the Fallon Norm. Ed Fallon, your host here with uh, Channing Dutton today. Before we talk about the Iowa caucuses, I want to give a shout out to our business partners here in the Des Moines Metro. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. Love that grocery store, folks. And also, they've got a fireplace. If you want to get uh, warm and cozy on a nice winter day, go sit by that fireplace when you have your breakfast, lunch, or supper. They're open seven days a week. They've also got an excellent catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret. They're located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park. They've got national acts, amazing local acts. Uh, they are really our premier location for jazz and cabaret in the Des Moines Metro. That's Noche. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, H-O-Q Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. 90% of the food served, even in February, comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. That's Hawk Restaurant. All right, so later in the program, we're going to be talking about the Climate Crisis Parade, a big deal that happened two days before the Iowa caucuses in Des Moines and drew 1,000 people and had 70 organizational sponsors. We'll also talk about the courts, uh, specifically the, uh, the Our Children's Trust lawsuit, which continues to move forward in its sixth year of action, plodding through the legal system. We'll talk about some other legal stuff as well, including an action that yours truly was involved with uh, earlier last year. But now we turn our attention to the Iowa caucuses, and as we broadcast this segment of our program, the results are beginning to come in, but are not yet fully in. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say about this. This is, um, I think, kind of crazy. And um, I think this is essentially the uh, death knell of the Iowa caucuses. I, I have been through nine caucuses. Yes, I'm that old. I know I look like I'm 40, but yeah, I've been through nine caucuses. And um, I think this is the last one. And I'm a little sad about it because I've, I've always really enjoyed what we've been able to accomplish with the caucuses. But I'm also saying, you know, the time has come when this, 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 uh, you know, this tradition needs to be put to rest and something more democratic, more uh, reasonable, more up to snuff for the times needs to be put in its place. But that said, before we talk more about that, Channing, the results, as we see them right now, just coming in, and again, I don't know when we'll get the full results in, but right now, with 62% reporting, we see uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg at 27%, Bernie Sanders at 25%, I'm, I'm rounding here, uh, Elizabeth Warren at 18%, Joe Biden at 16 and Amy Klobuchar at 13%. What do you make of that? <laughs> oh wow oh sorry did i did i put you to sleep <laughs> yes right well you know my 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 humor is such as it is is in reference to the scandal that has become the iowa caucus what 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 could we google that involves a scandal what words could we google that would still lead us right back to the Iowa caucus. I googled a bunch of different options. Some of them I can't say on an FCC regulated station. Okay. And um, Iowa caucuses came up. They came up. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. It is. It is an embarrassment at the international level. It's too it, bad. It reminds me of the gambit that you know John Stewart used years ago with Rick Santorum. I won't go into oh, it. Oh no! Don't go into that. Right. One. I won't go into it. I mean, but, we could probably say that. That's probably not one of the FCC's words yes, that right. they regulate. But no, we're still, not going to go into no, it. No, don't right, go there. Right. But but you know the. Of course, the story is, and depending on where we were and if we were at those caucuses, uh, some, I think, precincts ran pretty smoothly. Ours, ours went pretty smooth, actually. Right. And we had 385 people there. My precinct uh, out in West Des Moines, where I live, um, it, it was, the, the gentleman who ran it was so organized, 
worked so hard to put it together. We had 373 people. Um, it was a big crowd, but he had seating chart, and it just went perfect until we got to the realization, realization that we had to count the ballots. And we had to, <laughs> oh, small and, detail. Right, and, we had to, and we had to see what the people, what the 370... And, and, and again, not ballots, but those preference cards. Yeah, right, yeah. but the, 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 the preference card. And, yeah. You know, the front and sign it, and then if you're viable... Not viable, you fill out the back, right, you know, right, right. And there were a bunch of directions. And, you know, this is a precinct that I would say, you know, the... The age of the people is is such that you know it's 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 not like we're dealing with first graders. You know they're they're mature. That was the Republican caucus. Yeah, yeah, that was. Oh, really, did right, I say yeah. that? Oh yeah, my so, god, I can't yeah. believe I, I said got the ninety nine percent. Yeah, stop, right. Stop. But but you know I would say it's affluent. Um, I would say it's highly educated, and it was a complete cluster when you got to the ability of the voters to follow. A step one, step two, step three, step four type directions. It's pull your hair out because what mm. we ended up with was, if I can tell real quickly, but we ended up with 373. Five people walked away, their ballots never to be seen again, or their cards. <laughs> that that dropped us down to 368. That led to one type of question. But then by the time all the smoke settles and we're looking at the cards and I pitied the team that was trying to help our chairman. There was, I think the word was, 397 possible how, how results. Did you, how did you get that many more? Some people seems... can Wait, were there people from Chicago that are voting twice? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, if my nose was bent just a little bit and I was on the roll of the dead, you know, you, you would think perhaps it was a Chicago, <laughs> you know, a Chicago event. But it was, it was supremely frustrating because of the length of time the caucus takes, because of the uh, okay. failure of the crowd to pay attention, and then then the mess begins yeah, and, with and, nobody and, knowing what happened. And, you know, it really, is, is it that bad? I mean, objectively, is it that big of a deal if people don't learn the results of an election until a day or even two days later? It's really the media whose shorts are in a knot over this. Oh yes, and no. and then and, and because the media are yeah. so upset, the rest of us get upset as well. You you know that when it comes to climate reporting, I'm no fan of local media. Right, um, that's but but I ended up watching uh, uh, Channel 13, and uh, Jerry Crawford was on, and um, it was an intelligent, sane discussion about the complexity of the caucus and gathering those votes. But we are in the age of right now. We want to know right now, and the Democratic, uh, uh, you know, the Iowa Democrats know that this is our, this is our day, this is our age. Yeah. And I, I, I want a golden goose, Daddy, and I want it now. Yes, right. And if and if we could, you know, I was I was saying to my uh, to my uh, attorneys and staff today, I would love to have been in the room where it happened when they came up with this three-step plan, turn the card over, sign the front, yeah. don't sign the back. I, I mean, I, I understand the Democratic Party in Iowa had to do something. There's so much pressure to try to make this work for more people, to make it more transparent, uh, and to still have it make sense in terms of the national scheme of New Hampshire having the first primary. And so I understand, I, I you know, the person I feel most sorry for in the world right now is Troy Price, the head of the Democratic Party. Not a bad guy. No. Uh, I, and right. probably right. didn't see this coming. 
But the, the accusations are starting, you know, you have this new app. Why did you test this new app? Uh, there are, there are there's allegations that representatives of, of Homeland Security were calling to say, hey, we have concerns about this app, and, they, and those weren't responded to. So, I, I mean, I, I, it would suck to be Troy Price right now. Well, it's, <laughs> I feel bad for the guy. It's it is a it is a colossal mess. And let me throw out the number that I'm and I'm giving this you know secondhand. But what was particularly embarrassing, you know, you you have been very active uh, with the presidential candidates. I have been you know just begging. You've them, been a, nuis- a nuisance right, to most of them. Climate change, climate change, climate change, and they answered the bell, and they had great staff and great presence, and brought passion and energy. And the number I've heard is the campaign spent approximately forty-four million, but who cares? On what? Uh, on their effort in the state of Iowa. Oh yeah, yeah. Salaries, uh, more meals. Than that maybe, yeah. Well, this is just the campaigns. Yeah. Um, and. And I am horrified for them that with the yeah. buildup to this event, we cannot deliver yeah. a reliable result. Because well, it, I, I, I still want to know what happened in my precinct right. with this discrepancy so, so on the ballot. Two more things I want to talk. Yeah. I want to go back to these numbers. Right now, of course, it right. has Buttigieg ahead. There are lots of Sanders people who are alleging that, oh, this is a, this is a conspiracy to find a way to deny Sanders the, the victory in Iowa. Now Sanders is only behind by one percentage point, or two actually. But um, no, is that is that Hillary Clinton in front of him? By the way, <laughs> no, 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 that was four years ago. Oh, okay, okay, right, okay, right, 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 right. yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I, I don't I don't feel comfortable blaming uh, you know alleging any kind of conspiracy. It could simply be technological incompetence, and again, incompetence is easier to accomplish when you're dealing with a. A, a drastically new technology, right. and so I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not willing to start laying blame, uh, you know, implying any kind of conspiracy theory here. I do think that in 2016 there were some very specific efforts made to deny Sanders the opportunity to claim victory where some of those opportunities would have would have presented, and that I would I would not be surprised to see that happening now, but I don't think you know I think Joe Biden has been the candidate of choice, but I think. If these numbers hold, the choice of the establishment. Of the establishment, yeah, right, yeah, right. If these numbers hold, Joe Biden is done. There's no, there's no candidate who's ever finished below second in Iowa who is one who is. You have to finish at least one or two to go on to be president. Is that, like, is that written down? No, that's just did, my memory. Did, did, did the framers write that down? Uh, <laughs> no, it's just engraved <laughs> right in my the, head from experience. Right after the impeachment provisions. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. right, right. right. So, but back in 1988, uh, Michael Dukakis got third in Iowa. And he became the Democratic nominee. Of course, he lost. But you don't. You, there's no incidence of anybody getting lower than third place, and 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 not and going on to win. And here's Biden in fourth, maybe fifth. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Klobuchar pass Biden before the last um, what 38 percent is counted. And so, you know, this is right now, you know, a race of between Buttigieg, Sanders, maybe Warren. Uh, and going to New Ham- and going look at the numbers in New Hampshire, Sanders is polling, and again that could change, but right now he is polling extremely well in New Hampshire. He could do very well in Nevada, and then we look at at at, um, at South Carolina, where Joe Biden's immense lead of what by thirty points has shrunk in the last poll to a lead of five points, and part of that's because you know Sanders has gained traction. A big part of it is Tom Steyer has a really compelling message. To African Americans, 
And I, I heard that message here delivered delivered here in Des Moines, and it is it is well received. A lot of my black friends were like, "Yeah, I like what this guy's saying." And I have a feeling that what Steyer is doing in South Carolina is peeling away a lot of that African American support from Biden. Um, you could well see a contest in South Carolina that has Sanders and Steyer the one-two candidates. I would not be surprised to see that. Well, that same poll that you were talking about, if if we're if we're both kind of envisioning the same one. In South Carolina, had uh, Joe at twenty-five, Bernie at twenty, and Steyer at eighteen. Eighteen, that's the right. one. Yeah. yeah, and and so so something could be happening on the ground. You know, the real winner last night in Iowa uh, was a billionaire named Michael Bloomberg, because he was smart enough to avoid <laughs> this mess. Yeah, you know, and and, and you know what he's done in, in in because of all the uh, chaos, he's doubled his ad buy. In areas where he's already spending crazy amounts of money, you know, he saved himself some version of forty-four million dollars yeah. just by bypassing Iowa and New Hampshire. And, well, and New Hampshire, and you know, I think this is a race that I think this is a race that's going to go to convention. I think there's going right. to be there's going to be viable candidates there. Well, if Sanders continues to do really, really well, and and I mean, in the first four contests, and then does excellent on Super Tuesday. Super, it's going to be hard for him, hard for the DNC to deny him the the, uh, the nomination. I mean, I know they'd like to. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it. Um, it you know, the, but I, I want to come back to you know the Tom Steyer moment. You know, right. there's, there's no you know anybody who knows you and me know that because of his position on climate, right. uh, Tom Steyer was our number one. Uh, Bernie was a close number two. Right. Um, and again, because of his climate uh, climate position. But when I talked to the people, even in my precinct, what brought you to Tom Steyer? The number one thing they said was term limits. Yeah, yeah. You that, know, and his and yeah. he has been pounding away. So so climate was probably even second among my group, where you know where I'm clamoring about him as a climate candidate. But but he has a great message of social justice, and I think that you know a guy like Tom Steyer may outlast uh, Michael Bloomberg because. Of his his ability to accurately portray, yeah. I've walked the walk. Now I don't know. You know, Tom Tom Steyer is kind of the poor billionaire in this fight. <laughs> That's yeah. Right. I mean, by, by a long Bloomberg's wealth what is almost unfathomable. Yes, and he has all the best consultants and and folks in the world who are you know buying those spots. And and he also he's also really good at buying up the right staff people too. I mean, I know I know political people who are offered. Ten grand or more a month to come work for him. Wow! You know, yeah. I mean, good job if you can get it. <laughs> really, good yeah, job. Get those, get brush it. up those resumes right now because <laughs> there's some right. that are going to be available. Yeah, here, definitely know, yeah. in the near future. But you know, when when we, if if you want to talk for a moment about handicapping, you know, our Iowa result, I think it's pretty much what the, it's the group that we would have expected. No massive surprise. Maybe the surprise is Joe drops. Yeah. You know, um, well, we kind of saw that coming. But yeah, but I, I, I think people who are paying attention aren't that surprised. Mm -hmm. I, I will tell you that having attended some of the uh, Joe Biden lawyer uh, meetings and and uh, with that ilk of, of people, Joe's got some pretty tough, you know, solid support. Right. And I think he's gonna hang around, and we're gonna see. If he can reverse this in a true primary, yeah. uh, you know, two primary, but it, it, it would state. be the first ever if a candidate who finished fourth or fifth in Iowa goes on to get the nomination. That would be unprecedented. 
let me say, let me say, let me say this. I I think a lot of folks around the country are saying, Iowa, you you're done. You need to go last, not first. You need to get rid of the caucus. And I'm going to say, I don't know if we need to go last. And I do think the process, everything that happens between the first candidate coming here, Delaney, ten years ago, and um, yeah. and caucus day itself. All that's really important. Those opportunities for people to get to talk with candidates, those are really, really important. But what happens on caucus night, unfortunately, is horrible. It's not effective. It's not democratic. It's not full participation. It's chaos, and it's getting worse, and it needs to end. I have a proposal. Okay. I think we ought to have a... Um, I think every state ought to have a chance the to royal first. Co- the royal coin flip? No, no. Like, we're like, we're uh, done like with NC, coin flips and, 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 and rock, hey, paper, scissors. No more of that. They were flipping coins last night. I know. For we did rock, paper, scissors at one caucus I was at a couple years no, ago. No, but I'm talking last night they were flipping coins. I know, coins. I know, I know. So uh, I think you ought to have a, a wrote. I think it's good to have small states go first so candidates can really engage with voters. It's good to have some uh, states from the north, east, west, south, midwest. But let's start rotating it. If you started, um, if you have the first six Tuesdays in February in 2024, the um, small states, you could have Wyoming, Vermont, West Virginia, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Alaska all go first in order, and then start having four states per Tuesday, and do them regionally so we can cut down on carbon emissions, right? Hey, there's an idea. So so you could have, like, on March 19th, Delaware, Rhode Island, Maine, New Hampshire. Again, all small states. And then at some point, you just have to start mixing them up. And then move out west for March 26th, Montana, Idaho, Nevada, Utah. And then down south for April 2nd with Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, Louisiana, and, and so on and so on. So instead of a huge Super Tuesday thing, you know, preceded by four small contests, have six small contests preceded, you know, followed by four, you know, four, four, four campaigns, four states each Tuesday, and throw in the, the, you know, the Marshall Island, whatever, whatever the smaller you know, the, uh, the American Samoa, throw those in there as well. I think that would work pretty well. And, you know, rotate that so that in 100 years, the uh, every state gets to go first. <laughs> well, at least one of the first few. There, if we're still around in 100 years. There's got to be a plan. Now, I have the advantage of looking over your shoulder at, at your list. I think New Hampshire's going to have a heart attack when you're proposing that they go in the seventh week. You know, because of their, you know, they've got this. You know, like Iowa, they're spoiled. And they need to stop being spoiled. I think there's something to be said to this. You know, Granite State, okay, come on, don't, you're, 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 yeah, you're the Granite State, but buck up, don't be a snowflake. And I see our friends in California and Arizona several weeks after that. They're not going to like that. Right, but eventually they'll get to go first and they'll be so happy. Yes, in that, in that one cycle. But as we know... We're dealing with an electorate that they want it right now. Right, I know. I want I it know. all, and I want it all right now. And now we've got to run to a break. Channing, thanks for thanks for thanks for that conversation. We'll be back in a few minutes. We're going to talk about the climate crisis parade, folks. This is the Found Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music, 
and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon here with you and Channing Dutton. So before we talk about the climate crisis parade, I got to give a quick shout out to some of our local business partners who make this program possible. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's our anchor sponsor, and my grocery store, a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Gateway also has an excellent catering service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years at Story County Veterinary Clinic. And finally, thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street in downtown Des Moines. Fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. So, maybe you were in Des Moines this past weekend, and if you were, you might have noticed, or even been a part of, the Climate Crisis Parade. 70 organizations joined in and uh, about a thousand people showed up and one of those guys there was Channing Dutton and he behaved himself reasonably well. True story. Yeah. And you uh, you were there with a sign. I, I'm trying to remember what your sign said, Channing. Well, you know, lately, um, Ed, I've been working only one real sign and that is it's a large poster of my grandson, William. Oh, yeah. Um, and this one was a double poster so that if I held it up in the air, you could also see an image on the back. But it kind of follows this new theme that I have um, where I'm asking everybody to open their cell phone and take a look at a picture of somebody who they love when they think about climate change. And so um, for that event, but really I took it to the caucuses. Um, and um, Did they let you bring it into the caucuses? Sure. Okay, right. good. No, I, I had it front and center and I had a chance to uh, give a, um, a, a recommendation speech for Tom Steyer and I... Uh, I ask everybody at the caucus to pull out their cell phones because, face it, we're in a cell phone age. You know, everybody's looking at their phones. I just was at, at my law firm. I was talking to a great young man, really smart, really bright, and he had his nose buried in his cell phone <laughs> while I was talking to him about legal strategy. Um, and so so the theory of the, of the large poster, and I would urge everybody to do this, is start carrying around a picture of somebody who you love, who you think is going to have a climate future ahead of them, and that starts to really shape your sense of responsibility. And, this, and so at the march, um, it was it was perfect. And this is a uh, kind of a large, blown-up uh, photograph yeah, of your grandson. 20 by 30, can't be missed. Okay. Um, and it draws a lot of attention. Because, now, obviously, in a very sympathetic uh, crowd at that point, what, what kind of response did you get? Well, 
what, what the photograph does and what the concept does is it bonds us together as a team because we all have people who we love. And even those who don't have children have nieces and nephews or, you know, there's someone in their life who they love. And we all know that there's generations to follow us. And, and when I've been on your show before, I talk about the concepts of intergenerational justice. You know, and that's not so much justice for the group that's here right now. Right, right. But, but there is a group that's going to follow us. And like robbing um, a bank uh, and, and pulling all the money out of the bank... We're pulling all the money out of the resources, or all the resources out of our planet that should be there for those who follow us to enjoy. Right. So the photograph has no detractors. Um, it only draws a positive uh, response. And when you talk to people even about the cell phone line, there's not a naysayer in the crowd because you could have heard a pin. What drop. do you mean? What do you mean the cell phone line? You mean at a can- candidate event? Well, yeah, the, the, okay. right. But but if you're you know, but if you're talking to a church group or if okay. you're talking to a civic group, you know, the idea is, you know, the way I say it is, I know you're playing with your phone. You know, you might be discreet, you might not be uh, real obvious about it, but I know you're playing with your phone. And so if I bore you, like if you're watching this right now and you're bored, open up your cell phone. Look at somebody you love and then check back into this conversation because we're talking about what is important to their future. Because the and that's what the march was about. Yeah, true. And, and there, was, there were so many different ways in which that concern was displayed at the march. And I was very, uh, very pleased to see that it was a very broad coalition. Uh, indigenous people led the march uh, with drums, with, with singing, with a, uh, a large uh, replica of a colonial wagon with arrows in it to indicate the role that colonization and overall, just generally speaking, our our very consumptive society has played in in encouraging and enabling climate change. And there were other, uh, you know, frontline communities, uh, minority communities that were very positively represented. Uh, Dave Houston with uh, Homes for My Peeps was there. Dave uh, is with a a community effort to uh, revitalize homes in the urban core, uh, homes that, that you know, low-income people can afford to buy, and homes that are designed with sustainability in mind. And that's, that's, that was, I was glad to see him there, glad to see people supporting that movement there. I was really excited to see the uh, Moms Clean Air Force and Eco Madres there, again, uh, focusing on, on the Latino communities and, uh, and, 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 and Spanish-speaking uh, enclaves that are really under, under attack from the growing problems associated with climate change, as particularly in, in Central America, where in much of the much of the uh, the refugee crisis from Central America is traceable to climate impacts. You know the groups were amazing. You know here's the groups that stand out in my mind. The politicians were there, and um, even one Republican, Joe Walsh. Was Joe Walsh there? Joe Walsh. I didn't. Uh, say, I didn't get a chance. To I talk mean, to I him. know he got one percent in the uh, in the Iowa mm-hmm. caucuses yesterday against Donald Trump, but hey, he was there. Well, you know, but the but the the two who I'm thinking of is the uh, Iowa Senate race, which is now going to heat up. Right, I think Eddie Cal, Morrow and Cal Woods were right. both there. Cal right, Wood right. was there, and Cal's uh, sporting a a uh, card that says "Fighting for Climate Action, Vote Cal Wood." Hmm. Well, w- what's better than that? But hot on his heels or equal with him is Eddie Morrow. You know, he's there with his team. He's there. They're both there personally, talking to voters. You know, Eddie had a fun sign that said, um, you know, the event was about the media. Right. And it was it was calling out the media. And I want to talk about the coronavirus and the media and climate change. Okay, that's an but, interesting shift. I haven't right, seen this but, coming. But Eddie, was, Eddie was, was calling out the media saying, media, talk to me about climate change. 
because I'll give you a political answer. And I love that sign. Mm. And so, so it was exciting. But there were elderly groups there. There were children there. There were church groups there. A lot there. of church groups. A lot, a lot of, of church groups. groups. You know, people of faith. And what was particularly heartening was uh, the size of the crowd. You know, the, the vision started off, um, you know, our friend Steve Shivers. Uh, you With know, uh, Citizens Climate Levy. Right. Yeah. Steve wrote this email saying, I, I have this vision of a thousand people. And I don't know if he got his thousand. He may have. I think we had a thousand. Right. But, was, but he well certainly, attended. you know, there are pictures. I think it's called North Iowa Aerial on Twitter. Yes. Um, there are pictures of the crowd uh, on Twitter. And this is the most energetic and certainly the best organized. Now. While we're on this topic of best organized, Ed gets a lot of credit. Uh, Kathy gets a lot of credit. Sherry gets a lot of credit. You know, there was a whole committee. Kelsey, was, Kelsey, Kelsey, Kraft with the uh, with Urban yes. Ambassadors as well. It, it was a real coalition effort. This group of seventy was exemplary, and you know, I'm always kind of banging the drum. You know, boom, 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 boom. Climate action, climate action, climate action. But this group lent, um, put meat on the bone. You know, and they. They thought it out. How will we do this? Where will we go? What would the sound system be like? And you know, that could have been better. Yeah, could, <laughs> well, it could have been better. But but you know, if we would have known that we were going to turn out that thousand, that that vision was going to be met, then then we we make a we you know we make a different a different plan or a different strategy. So it was it was such a neat effort that uh, you know it would it would be I would be remiss because the hard work was done by people off camera and by people who maybe aren't even viewing this but all these groups came together people traveled two buses two two buses from Iowa City there was a you know, a van car a van and I think a caravan too from Sioux City right folks from uh, Nebraska came down you know and and in terms of the the just the the I don't know if you call it the chat sessions but the chatter on social media was we're in Kansas City we're in Minneapolis how can we get there we're interested in this and, and what the thrust of this event was, was the media. Right. Because, you know, Ed, through his work with Bold Iowa and Fallon Forum, um, you know, they have done, an, you guys have done a great job of confronting these candidates months ago when they were on the ground and encouraging them to be better on climate. And One, that's had some effect. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gina McCarthy, the former head of the EPA, who's now the, uh, the president of the Natural Resources Defense Council, pointed out in an editorial the day before the Iowa caucuses that she was basically basically saying, Iowans, thanks for getting the candidates to make climate a bigger priority. So we've, we had that effect. Right. And, you know, it's, it's hard to think. You know, I know that, that Amy Klobuchar maybe isn't a, a personal favorite, um, you know, <laughs> of, uh, of certain people on camera. Um, and and the, the, my, my education about fracking Amy um, made a difference uh, to me as well in reference to that candidate. But even Amy Klobuchar will say the words. And, you know, 12 years ago, eight years ago, four years ago, it was like you had to put your knee on the chest of Hillary Clinton and pull her teeth to get her to say climate change. Well, four years ago, you had to get, we had to work real hard to get Bernie Sanders to start to talk about climate as an emergency. Yes. And we had to work to get him to come right. out against the Dakota Access Pipeline. And to his credit, once he saw those connections and saw how critical that that uh, that perspective was he embraced it with enthusiasm well and the exit and, and most candidates now have yeah and the story right now um you know that that has been reported since last night 
is the media was polling people, what issues do you care about? And of course, the number one or number two, no matter what poll runs it, climate change is there. And the only issue that is still acing it out, but only for a little while, is healthcare. And that's just by a little bit, too. Right, and yeah. only by a little bit. And yeah, for a little while, because it's not... The impacts of climate are going to continue to become more and more evident. There's no way to avoid what's coming at us. And, I, and you know, I'm looking around at some of the signs and the, uh, well, let's call them floats during the parade. I mean, people, people understand this. And they were expressing it in ways that were very powerful. And they were also making those connections. I was amazed. At, so I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't, had no idea what some of these uh, groups were going to bring. And there was a, a group from Trinity Methodist Church, which is a, very, uh, a church that very much brings together uh, an, an Anglo and a Latino populations. And they had, a, they had a, a float that showed the link between immigration and climate change. And it was a really, I mean, I think some people might have found it too powerful. It was basically three cages. And there were actual people in those cages. And the first one was Joseph. That was the cage. And the second I one saw was the ca- okay, Mary. I saw the- and then the third one was baby Jesus. Ah. The child in the cage at the border. And, and the reason I expressed surprise is I saw the cages in the beginning, mm-hmm. but then somehow I lost track of that group. Because there were so many people yeah, there. Yeah. It was a big enough event. So, all right, because I thought, what's the purpose of the cages? Yeah, it, was, it was to make that connection between uh, climate and immigration. Right. Well, and also to make a statement about how wrong it is that people are being put in cages at the border. Well, and, and again, you know, we've got a candidate who, or a president, who thinks that the way forward for our nation is to build walls. Now, his walls have a little trouble standing up. If the wind blows. <laughs> we had a little trouble getting Mexico to pay yeah, for it. Yeah, we have to do a memo. We have to do a memo to Mexico. Dear Mexico. You owe us. <laughs> no, no, please be sure to plant trees on the downwind side to catch Trump's wall uh, before it falls so that we can pull it back. Um, and to provide monarchs a temporary habitat. Right. And and, and your, your viewers or people who have uh, been nice enough to watch the segments that I'm on before know that I'm a huge believer in you cannot build a wall high enough to keep desperate people out. Mm. And just sooner or later, we'll be on, you know, each of us individually, we'll be on the wrong side of somebody's wall. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to your children, again, that concept of look at your cell phone, open your photo gallery, carry your photos with you. When it comes to the concept of your children, I don't know a parent who wouldn't go all out to get over a wall yeah. or bring down that wall yeah. or find a way through that wall. Um, and that's, that's, that's something we are not going to avoid in yeah. this country. And, you know, and, and some of the other, uh, the other presences at the, uh, at the parade, again, really powerful. There, there, there were, uh, I think, the Catholic Peace Ministry and perhaps also the mm-hmm. Quakers made that connection between climate and militarism. And that's a that's a really powerful uh, link, and people sometimes don't think about that, but they they made that link, and they they had uh, I, I can't remember the the exact text of the signs now, but it was there, it was prominent, uh, and you know part of it was people were connecting with other folks who have a particular angle, and they might not have thought about the militarism angle or the immigration angle or the indigenous angle, and so I think they have all this was an educational experience for the people who were there. You know, one of the reporters, a gentleman from Denmark, he said to me, why, uh, why do the indigenous groups lead the parade? You know, why the wagon? You know, why, why the indigenous presence, you know, so prominent? Um, and, of course, you know, when we look at the communities that are impacted, 
Um, it's always the communities that are the most disadvantaged, whether it's women or people of color or the indigenous. And one of the things that shapes my thinking is we rely so heavily on the indigenous people, the nations uh, of the indigenous world, to resist the fossil fuel industry right now. You know, uh, the pipelines that they want to build in Nebraska, you know, the indigenous nations are leading that charge. And in Canada, they are personally and solely responsible for saying no. And so, you know, our allies are everywhere, and that's what this march helped us bring together. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I... I, uh... Now, we got to talk about the bad part of the march. That was... The media. Oh, the media, right, right, I mean, right, right, right. Where hey, were they? Hey, uh, KCCI, WHO, IPR, uh, well, New York Times, I mean, KCCI, where were you? KCCI had a small segment. Oh, well, yeah, but... Like 30 seconds. Right, small but. segment on the biggest story of all time. Shame on you. Yeah. You know, you should do a better job. You know, you only pick the low-hanging fruit when you report the news. And even when it's a climate story, like Australian wildfires... You just sit there and shuck it up. Oh, golly gee, what could it be? What could be causing this to happen? You know, wake up and attend. Yeah, and, know, and, or, come to a Citizens Climate Lobby meeting, <laughs> Curtis Gertz. Hey, Ed Wilson, it might not hurt you to say climate change because we both know you know what's going on. Yeah, and again, they, they they should be able to make these connections. When you have record flooding in Missouri, in, in, on, the, on the Missouri River, right. It's impossible not to identify the climate connection. There are those who want to blame the Army Corps of Engineers, but if you listen to science on this, that is a climate impact. Uh, when you look at the, the drastic shifts from uh, too much rain to too little rain and how that's affecting crops here in Iowa, that is a climate impact. And, you know, and people will say, well, we always have those kinds of problems. Yes, we do, but they are more dramatic, more pronounced, and also the, um, the, the, the weather events are occurring in... In, in places and in times where they don't normally impact that way. I mean, for example, uh, a year and a half ago when we did the First Nation Farmer Climate Unity March, I was thinking, okay, September 1st through 8th, this is going to be great. That's usually a drier time of the year. Solid rain the first six days, intense thunderstorms, mm-hmm. huge flooding. Uh, we were really lucky to have churches uh, that bailed us out and let us come sleep inside for, for a good part of it. So, I mean, all those stories should be reported as a climate story. They're, they're, not, they're not a weather event alone. They're, it's not just flooding. It's not just drought in, in affecting a farmer. It's not, it, you know, to, to ignore the climate impact. It's like having a mass shooting and saying, well, we had this mass shooting. We're not going to bother to ask why it happened. No. <laughs> you know? Of course, the media so, loves to get into the why. Oh, they'll delve right into the yeah. mind of, yeah. the, of the troubled individual, you know, to find out what they were thinking. All right, but let me real quick, because okay. I know you got that internal clock in your head. About, I do. About, you know, time yeah, we're going to cut but, you off soon, Shane. But what's Wrap the connection up. between coronavirus, <laughs> the media, and climate change? Well, today the polling is out. says 70% of Americans are convinced that coronavirus is a threat to them. Why? Because the media is doing their job. They're telling the story about the coronavirus and what it means. Why isn't 70% of America up in arms about climate? Because you're failing us, media. So why is it that the coronavirus is a more appealing story to the media than climate change? Well, it's a hair-on-fire story right now. But Australia's not a hair-on-fire story, somewhat literally? Well, that's a long ways away. You know, coronavirus... (laughs) California's not that far away. And Look at the fire situation there. What do we have? Six cases in the U.S. and 70% of the people polled are concerned about coronavirus? It's the power of the media. If you will inform your listeners... 
if you will inform your viewers, if you will inform your readers, they will be a smarter so body. Do you think part of the problem is that uh, there is no uh, anti-coverage of the coronavirus uh, corporate interest buying advertising on these media outlets, and yet there are plenty of ads, plenty of money being put into their coffers from pro-fossil fuel interest groups? And that, I, I mean, isn't that part of it? Good Maybe a big yeah. part of it? Good, good take. You know, yeah. fear sells, so the media is selling coronavirus. Well, fear sells, fear. but also, but also um, our, our ad clients. Uh, yes. You know, they, the the ones that we can't afford to offend. It's just like the Democratic National Committee. You know, when they then when they ripped the fossil fuel donation ban out of their 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 they passed it, then they ripped it out because they realized, oh wait, we get a lot of money from the fossil fuel industry. We better be careful about offending them. Well, so I think that's part of it. And you know that amazing march in New York City. Five, six years ago. Five years ago. So many people. Six years ago, yes. It was designed to influence the UN, but the march didn't go anywhere near the UN. And do you know, do you remember who paid for the toilets, who provided all the toilets? I don't. It was Exxon. It was the fossil fuel industry. So they had a voice uh, They had a voice in the route. And and this is the power of the money. I did not know that. Yeah. That is interesting. We need to talk more about that. But first, we need to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus to a conversation about the courts and what's happening in terms of how climate cases are moving through the courts, federal and district. Back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766 that's 232-8766. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's h-o-q-table.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, continuing our broadcast from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. A quick shout out to some of our partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe located on 20th and Woodland. That is my grocery store and a wonderful place for breakfast, lunch, and supper open seven days a week. Gateway also has a catering service that's second to none. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm. 
where you can take classes on how to turn your lawn into dinner. Yeah, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Thanks also to Bold Iowa, boldiowa.com on the website. That's the group here in Iowa that has been leading the charge on bird dogging presidential candidates, focusing on climate change uh, and also on trying to uh, raise awareness about the problems associated with the Dakota Access Pipeline. That's Bold Iowa. All right, welcome back to the show, folks. And uh, again, Channing Dutton with me here. Uh, Channing, a noted attorney here in the Des Moines metro, and um, there's always a lot to talk about with the courts because climate is now being fought on several fronts, uh, at the grassroots level, at the political level, uh, at the legal level. And one of the biggest cases of interest is the Our Children's Future case, which... Um, has been going on for, what, what six years now? 2013. 2013. And just received an unfortunate um, setback in, I believe, the district court in Oregon. No, this would be the uh, tw- the uh, Court of Appeals the in court of San appeals. Francisco. Gotcha. Right. And uh, again, well, give, give us a little background. I mean, most people are familiar with the, the, the lawsuit, but just so folks know what it's all about. Well, before we do that, okay, uh, you know, I would be remiss not to say to your viewers... Uh, you opened this segment talking about Gateway Market, and I love that place. So just for what it's worth, that's my opinion. Um, But go there all the time and have a really, really great meal. So we always look forward to it. Let's let's do a review. So in 2013, Dr. James Hansen, Denison, Iowa, Dr. Hansen and a professor named Mary Wood at the University of Oregon, they started calling for climate litigation based on public trust doctrine. And the public trust doctrine is there's certain assets or resources that are so essential to life that they cannot be denied to people. And, of course, water is one right. of them. Air is another one of them. And a so, future. Right, a future. <laughs> you, know, we're, you know, we often yeah. talk about uh, intergenerational um, and climate justice. So these concepts are at the heart of the case. It's the, you know, the shorthand of the case now is called Juliana. That's the name of the... Of the lead plaintiff, Kelsey Juliana, right? Who and, was on the Great March for Climate Action? Okay, yeah, Perfect. she yes, walked right. about halfway across the country. Well, and and so her name is going to be forever etched in terms of the courts and climate litigation. But in 2013, 2014, the idea was we'd like to litigate in every state, and we'd like to build a body of case law, and that's what lawyers do. You know, one step at a time. You know, put the pieces of the puzzle together, and you culminate in a one grand federal case, which is the Juliana case. And they have been doing great things in the federal district court um, out in California with that case. I thought in Oregon as well, right? Well, well it's yeah, it's, it's that it's okay. that it, it has. There's cases oh, okay. everywhere. Alaska, Washington. We did one in Iowa. Iowa, that's right. That's um, right. You know, which was um, Glory Day Philippone. Um, but. But the, the, the federal case, there's only one federal court. And so the judge in the federal case has brushed back the United States government every time. Nope, we're going to hear this case. We're going to start to make decisions. We're going to make recommendations to, to require the government to move forward and to protect the resources and the future. And so there have been two or three appeals to the 12th Circuit um, where the government's been trying to weasel their way out of it. Now, they have an eloquent argument, but it basically is legal weaseling. And what they do is they just say, well, this isn't fair. The issue is too big. It's too complex. You know, we, we woe is me. The courts can't do anything about it. And they've been brushed back. You know, all, of, all efforts they've made 
up until the past year have failed. And didn't historically, did, did the courts have a similar response to uh, civil rights? Name, name any great issue. Yeah. You know, breaking we, up the we, robber barons. You right. know, we can't do it, but we did do it. Women's right to vote. Women's right to vote, yeah. but we did do it. Civil rights. But it, but, and but, we're doing so it. So what's, what's that tipping point where you, you get them to finally say, okay, maybe women do have the right to, right to vote. Okay, maybe it's not okay to segregate uh, you know, our black citizens to secondary, uh, you know, second-class uh, status. Uh, what, at what point is, is, there, is there enough... Um, um, society, you know, momentum in society at large. Is there enough case law that builds up to the point where finally they have to admit that, oh yeah, we do have jurisdiction here? Well, and, and when you go to law school, that's really what you spend your three years doing is you start with the little issue and then someone builds on it and someone builds on it and then a clever lawyer makes this argument and a really good lawyer makes that argument and all of a sudden you get bussing rulings. You know, and mm, all of a sudden right, right. You, you, know, you, you have to educate the, the judiciary um, you have to start with them as young lawyers and, and try to train them properly, mm-hmm. change hearts and minds yeah. as they're rising through the ranks, then they become the judges. Now, uh, marriage equality, that was a, a ruling that passed here in Iowa unanimously. But I, I know you, and you're suggesting that that was an incremental uh, buildup, but I'm not sure. That seemed to happen pretty dramatically and quickly. I can't think maybe of that, the, Maybe that's an exception. Yeah, I, I can't think of the quote. You probably know it, but... It's, um, you know, it's every stunning achievement has been accomplished on the backs of little steps, little steps, little steps, little steps, and then it right. happens. Right. And, and in marriage equality, you know, this is what we have seen. And, of course, it started with, with the, you know, I can't remember the first TV show, but maybe Will and Grace, but it starts with main, mainstream television, you know, introducing gay characters, you know, humanizing them, allowing us to have a view into... A life that is remarkably similar to to ours, and then all of a sudden, especially lawyers who've been trained properly, and that's what our Supreme Court was. They've been brought up, uh, you know, the right way legally. And when you start asking, is there a rational basis? This is the lawyer talk. Is there a rational basis to discriminate based upon uh, your choice of who you will marry? The problem is. The forces of evil cannot come up with any rational well, reason. Well, of course, what I remember in that case was, and we're getting a little bit off the uh, conversation yeah, of plan, right. but this is still interesting uh, and relevant, I think. But the, the, the argument I remember hearing was, well, if you start allowing Bob and Steve to get married, then at some point, Bob's going to want to marry his horse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Or Bob's going to want to marry two or three people. <laughs> you know, and it just it got kind of ridiculous. Right. And those arguments... You know, those arguments sooner or later fall to the wayside right. because they're, they're, those are more like tavern-type arguments. Sure. You know, you know uh, it's even, uh, you know, Fiddler on the Roof, you know. I uh, can't remember what Tevia says, but it's, you know, uh, you know, a horse could marry a, or a fish could marry a, a bird, but where would they live? Well, we don't have to worry about that, <laughs> you know, because the reality is we're just talking about two people who have love. Now, with the climate litigation, the government tries a third time. And they've been doing, I mean, they've just got their heels dug in. They do not want this judge at the district court level to issue a ruling because that ruling is going to be groundbreaking and it's going to be a big leap. You know, as I'm, as I'm doing the itsy bitsy spider, it's going to be a big leap. And so they go to a three-judge panel of the, uh, of the Court of Appeals and that three-judge panel rules two to one that the case should be dismissed. Mm-hmm. And the rationale, you know, the... The, uh, the decision, uh, it's Juliana, 
but the decision, the first paragraph of the decision cites the song, and I'm terrible at the at the groups, but it's the song with the lyric, um, uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. Right, R.E.M. Right, and, yeah. and so the... So the, the, the judges who are going to kick the case out say, we are facing grave crisis that's going to affect every living thing in this country and on our planet. And then they even go on to say, and we will assume that there is a fundamental right to a breathable atmosphere. Well, duh. But they, they, they grant that assumption. But then they say, in simple terms, the problem is too big. We don't think the courts can manage it. We think the poor courts, you know, are poorly equipped. And so they suggest, well, you guys should run off to the legislature. You should go to the Congress. You should go to the Senate. Mm. You should go to your president. And you should say to them, this is an urgent crisis. We have to get going. Is, is that, was that the response of the ruling, uh, ruling justices in that case? Right. This is their, this is their basic rationale. Yeah. The problem is too big for the federal courts. Now, uh, the dissenting judge used a great example, and that is she said, you know, if a meteor was struck, was bearing down on the planet and it was a planet killer or it was a planet devastator, we would be able to fashion remedies. Right. And we would be and able to act. And we would do act, it fast. And we would do it fast. It's yeah. not that hard. And there are a million easy things that we could do, but it requires judicial will. Now let me fast forward into where we are. So an application has been filed. You know, these are really, these are the best lawyers that you know I've ever dealt with, but they they have said we want and it's called en banc, but we want the whole court, not just two to one. We want the whole court to weigh in on this, and they do have the opportunity to go to the U.S. Supreme Court as well. But every time you go to the U.S. Supreme Court, it's a roll of the dice if you even get heard. So there's going to be one more result, and. I know that at Drake University and other law schools around uh, the nation, the law professors are banning together right now, writing friend of the court briefs. Mm. And those briefs are going to say, mm -hmm. you better think this one through before you say that we are a system of laws that can't fashion so a remedy. Our, our children, our, sorry, our children's trust is not dead. It's uh, moving to another level. Right. Uh, and at what point does it, does it come back to the states at any point? It can always come back to the states, you know, and it comes, you know, the, so, and, and what happens is these cases that I mentioned, you know, Texas, New Mexico, Washington, uh, Iowa. Alaska, mm -hmm. Iowa, these Oregon. cases cause people to, lawyers to think differently. Some, when I speak anymore, I only speak on one topic with lawyers, and that is we have to enter the era of climate litigation. Yeah. And so there's cases going on right now. There's a really important water quality case going up to the Iowa Supreme Court right now based on the fact that all of our waterways are contaminated and our drinking water, especially through the raccoon uh, uh, watershed, that our drinking water has to be purified. Right. At, at, that's at the Supreme Court level. Here right. That's Iowa, going yeah. to be decided uh, by our Supreme but, but Court as well. In some cases, the, the... And that's a climate case. Yeah, it is. But in some cases, the, the case law is built not at the federal level, but at the at the district level. And, and, and here in Iowa, as you know, we had a case recently that alleged that uh, we had a right to take our message of climate urgency to those assembled for a President Trump fundraiser yes. in West Des Moines. Right. And we took that to uh, the district court and went to the appeals court and we were uh, we were found, uh, it, was, it was dismissed. Right. That was and a... I, I don't know what we, I'm not sure what we accomplished. There were five of us who were in that, uh, in that case and, and you were our, our attorney and did an amazing job. 
Thank you. And I don't know what happens with the, uh, with the. Uh, I don't know if that had any impact on case law, but I remember the, uh, the prosecutor for the county was trying to, uh, especially when, when, when one of our um, defenders, Kathy Burns, made the point about, uh, about how it was important to stand up and, 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 and risk arrest in order to defend a just cause, and she referenced teaching about Martin Luther King and the civil rights struggle when she was a, a, a teacher. And the, uh, the prosecutor just went ballistic. How dare you compare what you're doing to anything that happened in the civil rights struggle? How dare you compare what you're doing to the injustices that people suffered at that time? And um, it just reminded me that, you know, back then I would have heard a similar response from an attorney saying, how dare you compare uh, the the minor injustices that African-Americans experience by being forced to sit in the back of the bus or, or all these other injustices. How dare you compare that to the hardships felt by farmers and landowners fighting the robber barons? At some point, what seems intolerable has to become uh, accepted and understood as an injustice. Well, and, and this is all part of the process of educating everybody. You know, we, um, we need to bring... Uh, and the media has an important role in this. We need to uh, enhance the education. Your case involving the arrest involved, where you were protesting President Trump and his refusal to be a grown-up in the room on climate change, this exposed the Polk County Attorney's Office to a whole new line of reasoning and litigation. Now, they may feel like they won, but they lost. The reason they lost is you never should have been charged in the first place because right. they couldn't establish the elements. And I'll be the first to acknowledge that um, an associate district court judge, which is our our first level of judges uh, in in uh, the the Iowa judiciary, he disagreed, but he disagreed on a technical reason based on the elements of right. the charges. Um, and then we went to the district court, and the district court disagreed that we had established a climate emergency. And if you're interested, you know, contact me. But the bottom line is we lapped the field, we buried them. It was a tsunami of evidence about the climate crisis to which the prosecutor could only sputter and spit and equate uh, a catastrophic threat that affects every living thing, including persons of color, um, you know, men, women, children, young, old, ants and bears. Including justices and judges justice, and prosecutors. Yeah. In, including everybody <laughs> uh, becoming indignant. It was embarrassing mm. because it is it is such a specious argument In because it was really just a, an attack. It was just, I can't believe that someone would challenge the almighty uh, Polk County Attorney's Office. And the idea is, buddy boy, you need to understand your children and your family is in the same mess that everybody else in that courtroom is in. Now, we should have brought in a pictures of your grandkids, our grandkids, to the court. Maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it, may, it probably wouldn't have been we, allowed or accepted. We, or even, We should have used the line when the prosecutor, open up your cell phone, take a look at somebody you love when you make these ridiculous arguments, yeah, yeah, just to argue. Yeah. Just to just to show me your bar talk. So, so let's bring it back to our, our our children's trust. Is there anything people need to know right now or do right now relevant to that that uh, again landmark case? Yeah, here's the here's the bad news. Um, the bad news is the courts are slow and plotting, and so if we believe we need to move quickly and swiftly, 
the answer probably isn't in the courts. Now, we need people who are willing to move slowly and plod, but, but the answer is probably not in the courts. The answer is probably at the ballot box mm. and in the street. And we talked about the, the march this past Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and we, you know, Iowa caucuses, um, the election is coming. People who, are, who want to be informed and who pay attention to those pictures of the ones they love on their cell phone, mm-hmm. they've got to be in the political game. You cannot afford to sit back and just mm-hmm. say, well, it's all going to be okay. Because the longer we wait, the closer that meteor, that that yeah. dissenting judge... Uh, in the Giuliani case, the closer it gets to the planet and the closer we get to harm that we can't control. Yeah. Well, Channing, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Folks, we've been talking with uh, Channing Dutton, an attorney here in Des Moines. And uh, again, uh, thanks to our production team of uh, Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina. Thanks to our stations around Iowa and around the country that rebroadcast this program. Of course, you can always hear the show on the Fallon Forum website. And you can catch the uh, video stream on the Fallon Forum Facebook page. We'll be back next week with more talk radio for you on the Fallon Forum.